It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We're back from Labor Day. It's really uh, a fresh start for many people coming back to work, to school for the first time. So I understand the newness, and hopefully you continue to listen to our show and continue to look at us as a resource to find out the latest news and perspective and i hope you had a great three-day holiday weekend in the northeast the weather was certainly beautiful and now we are back to the back to work and not forgetting not forgetting about what happened in afghanistan uh anthony blinken's going to get roasted we think next week as he's been asked to come in to explain himself uh on the hill into i think democrats are almost as mad at republicans about the afghanistan mess he lands in cutter today right about now with secretary of defense to thank them for their role i'm sure we're paying them well also, uh, this will be a recall week. Uh, Larry Elder, candidate for uh, California governor, will hold a press conference today. He's been attacked personally. He's got $13 million. Governor Gavin Newsom has $70 million, and he'll get a chance uh, to talk about, he'll get a chance to uh, have Kamala Harris campaign for him today. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We need to keep in mind that this is the same administration that rolled back Trump-era vetting requirements for those same sponsors. We had put in place a very robust sponsoring uh, procedures to make sure we knew who those individuals were. This administration rolled back those, and now they are releasing them. Uh, unbelievable, right? Uh, the border. President Biden gets a gift as the courts provide an opening to use Trump's Remain in Mexico policy in Arizona, New Mexico, as well as Texas. They are overrun by illegals. An all-time record numbers expected to be released about the August numbers at a time in which it was supposed to wane because of the weather. And right now, I believe they're almost being forced to take the Remain in Mexico policy, but might screw it up enough not for it to be ineffective. Number two. We had more people working in America than at any time in our nation's history. What does Joe Biden do? He had the opportunity to make sure our economy was booming by following the Trump policies, and he reversed all of the great work that President Trump did, and we're now seeing that, and finally, the polls are reflecting that. Uh, Yeah, finally. Corey Lewandowski, falling fast. That's what's happening to the president's approval numbers in every conceivable category. His solution? Change the subject and pass the cradle-to-grave reconciliation package. The bipartisan Senate bill. However, his party, his winning popularity, and economic reality are standing in his way. Number one. Is the U.S. safer today since the U.S. has withdrawn from Afghanistan? The short answer to your question is we don't know yet, but the conditions are very likely, in my opinion, Uh, that you could see a resurgence of terrorism coming out of that general region within 12, 24, 36 months. Okay, good. Thanks, uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. A mess of a mission in every way, and it's not over and getting worse as the Taliban take control of Afghanistan and Americans remain in country as ill-screened refugees stream into our country. While the media wants to move on, we will not, and more and uh, more the architects of this debacle speak, the more rage rises. First off, what really bothers me first, I'll zero in on what's going on. There are Americans, more than 100, in Afghanistan. We don't seem to care at the White House. They want to move on. They said uh, the chairman of the, uh, the 
the uh, chairman of his uh, joint chiefs, no, no, excuse me, the, the chief of staff for President Biden is Ron Klain. Ron Klain came out and said there's a hundred still left in Afghanistan. We've been in touch with all of them. Number one, if you say about, that means you're not in touch with all of them. If you say cleanly a hundred, really an even number, just a hundred, why would that be? And then we find out there's almost no mission at all to get them out as the Taliban forms a government officially. But that hasn't stopped the men and women who have served already to put together these separate groups to try to smuggle Americans back to safety and SIVs. They freely admit they got over 100,000 out. They also say most of the SIVs are not out. We are putting 50,000, according to Axios, 50,000 to military bases in our country. They were told to prepare. So let's see. The unaccompanied minors will have babysitters now from Afghanistan. They wouldn't understand what they're saying, but at least we'll put them to work. Where are we getting this money? Why are military bases being used as daycare places and, pro- and, and immigration processing joints? It's ridiculous. So I got to tell you this one story. So uh, Corey Mills is a private, uh, runs a private team of military veterans. And he worked for DOD for a while, and he's an Army vet. And he put together uh, a group that's trying to get Americans smuggling them out. Now he's got to do it by land, and he did it for the first time. Uh, Corey Mills got a family of five out. When this woman came forward and said, I can't get out, I'm going to tape what is my interaction is life trying to get to the airport. Uh, she, you see the tape and you see this woman and you see her get rejected. You hear the baby crying and then you realize there's no way to get out. That didn't stop Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma. A little over three weeks ago, he got working on this. He's got no cooperation from the State Department. Corey Mills, almost no cooperation from the State Department. But that didn't stop him. He will not tell me the country that got them out. But he was able to make his way uh, across enemy territory and into this safe country, we don't know what it is, and I'm glad not to tell you if I did know because they want to be able to do it again. He was able to snow his way through saying that uh, they got word from Qatar, which is a country that the Taliban recognizes and vice versa, that it's okay to let us through. He showed him a phony phone number, and he got through. Cut 10. Originally, our plan was to go ahead and do an air evac. That was absolutely thwarted by the, the CENTCOM command and the State Department. When we tried to land our plane, we had approved PPRs to land in HKIA. We had approved flyover approvals in the FAA. Our plane had been designated as an emergency humanitarian aircraft, which meant that we didn't have to, to meet just the seat standards, but we could actually do a weight and balance standard, which meant that I could have put 25 Americans, Brian, onto that plane. And as we were at like 9,000 feet in descent, landing gear down with an approved PPR landing slot, they waved us off. Think about that. But he didn't stop. He kept working on it. He kept working on it. And then when they finally do cross, guess who takes credit for it? The State Department. The State Department put out this statement said it facilitated the safe departure of four U.S. citizens from Afghanistan on Monday, noted the Taliban was aware and did not interfere with the evacuation. That is 100% not true. Cut 11. There's quite a bit of inaccuracies there. First off, the Taliban did interfere. I have multiple conversations recorded where the Taliban says on certain occasions, especially the commander who is there, who's on Malawi, and in that he says, we have no agreement, we have no coordination with the Americans to allow you to pass. And, you know, there's a whole string of things that he was basically noting as far as you guys requested these borders to be locked down. Why should we reopen them? We had to go through a lot of kind of shell game trickery, utilizing multiple phones, getting different Malawis to contact one another. 
And that was how we eventually tricked them into allowing us clearance to get this family across. So that is Corey Mills telling the true story, not the State Department story. They did not help. In fact, they hurt. Mark Wayne Mullen gets ridiculed for going over there because he's trying to help. He's trying to be the go-between between these private groups, people on the ground, and the State Department. He's getting no cooperation. So Ronnie Jackson, doctor uh, to the president, now a congressman for Texas, said, This article makes me want to puke, meaning the State Department taking credit. The State Department didn't do a damn thing for these people for 12 days except almost get them killed. I know, because my office and the team on the ground, led by Corey Mills and Mullen, facilitated their escape Every step of the way. That's how this family got out. They went to the, the mom, uh, the husband, went to visit her husband with the three kids in Afghanistan. Uh, they've been left behind by the Biden administration. They were outside Kabul. They got to Kabul. Keep in mind, nobody outside Kabul got out. Nobody. Michael McCall, okay, you just put that in one box. So I was able to talk to Corey Mills on Fox and Friends today. Now, here's the other box. Michael McCall, the last time we did a live show was Friday, and Congressman McCall, uh, he is uh, the ranking member on the Armed Services Committee. He says this to Chris Wallace, and this is 100% true, cut four. We have six airplanes at Mazar Sharif Airport, six airplanes with American citizens on them as I speak, uh, also with these interpreters, and the Taliban is holding them hostage for demands they are not clearing the airplanes to depart. They've sat at the airport for the last couple of days, uh, these planes, and they're not allowed to leave. Uh, we know the reason why is because the Taliban wants something in exchange. This is really, Chris, turning into a hostage situation where they're not going to allow American citizens to leave until they get full recognition from the United States of America. My concern is that Zal Khalizad, our special envoy, who's met with the Taliban, they're in talks right now, uh, and I think I, I worry his recommendation to the administration will be to recognize the Taliban as the official government of the United States, a, a Taliban organization uh, that is a terrorist organization. Ambassador Khalizad should come back and resign. He is a disaster. He has was started with Bush, uh, and I had him here, and I thought his book was good, but he left in uh, disgrace. Money was missing. And then being that he's Afghan-born and worked Iraq as ambassador and uh, in Afghanistan, he thought he'd be a good guy to go back and try to find out how to end this war. But his deals that he recommended to Donald Trump were terrible. He asked General uh, Keene about that, but workable. And then he comes and continues with Biden and Cal, uh, Cal Azad to put this deal together and is now dealing with the Taliban directly now that they're back in power. His goal reportedly was always to be the next leader of Afghanistan. You failed miserably. So do you understand what's going on? Now we got six planes flowing Masri Sharif, a place that fell like a um, uh, like a tackling dummy in a football practice, fell without a fight, and only didn't bounce up after you left it. They get planes in, they can't leave. How is it this acceptable? So an Afghan official at the Masjid Rishi said the would-be passengers are Afghans, many of whom don't have visas, and thus far are unable to leave the country. That is just not true, according to American sources. So I thought this would be something to share with you. So I know a lot of you say, well, is this a Republican or Democrat? Is this a conservative publication or a liberal one? Well, I don't think anybody looks at NewYork.com or New Yorker and thinks, well, that's a Republican uh, publication. David Rohde, used to write for the New York Times, was, caught hot, uh, was taken hostage once in Afghanistan, said this. The White House and U.S. State Department 
are holding up charter planes at the airport in Afghanistan's Masary Sharif that would transport 19 Americans and 40 SIV holders to Albania. David Rohde is the executive editor of NewYork.com. He said this in an interview on Monday. Quote, I want to repeat that. It is the State Department and the White House holding up the planes. He said the civilian effort has been far more ambitious, far more dynamic, and far more successful what the administration has been doing than what the administration has been doing. That's your country. That's your White House. That's why 36% of independents approve of Joe Biden. That's why his approval has dropped to 44 because certain people just don't, you know, a Democrat true and blue and just don't want Donald Trump back. But it's so much more than this. They want to talk about natural disasters. They want to talk about climate change. They want to talk about reconciliation packages. When they authored the most embarrassing international affairs and dismount from a war, engagement with a war in our history, leaving us more susceptible than ever before without eyes and ears. Now, I thought this. I want to share with you. Now, Sue Gordon is a former deputy director of national intelligence, but she's playing the political game. I hear she's anti-Trump. But listen to what she says at the end of this statement. Where we're at right now when it comes to intelligence in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Cut five. Yeah, I think you have to be concerned about that. Almost no matter what government the Taliban is able to put into effect, they, they aren't a government in the way we think about it in terms of absolute control. Remember, they're the extremists that we went in originally to fight. So it is a fraught area where you have tribal in, and, in, and extremist influences. Um, so it's worrisome. I think the Biden administration now, when presence isn't the advantage we have, when intelligence isn't going to be as good because you don't have that presence, really going to have to double down on the regional partnerships. And you're going to have to rely on non-traditional partners like Russia and China and Pakistan to really do that work in the region to try and influence the stability that is necessary to keep that threat from reemerging. So do you realize what she said in diplomat speak, even though she's not a diplomat? Non-traditional partners. Can you say enemies? Russia, China, and Pakistan to really do the work in the region. That is the Biden evacuation plan. In a nutshell, we got Russia, China, and Pakistan. Pakistan, who helped arm the Taliban, create the Taliban, and helped implement and strategize the invasion and takedown of Afghanistan, who over the weekend, according to Lucas Tomlinson's sources, they were provided the armed drones to take out the last vestige of resistance. Masood's son, the former sitting vice president in the northern region, which was once the Northern Alliance. They say they've been blown out and been forced out. Pakistan. All right, we're going to come back in just a second and take your calls, one 408 A lot more to discuss. We're back to school, back to work, and thankfully, you're back with us. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But the even bigger problem here is that he can't convey that strength if he's not going to be a president who takes questions. 
And I think one of the big problems he's got right now is every time he goes out before the press, he's telling people, well, they told me I can't take questions or I can only take questions from you. He, you can't project strength if you look scared. And Joe Biden looks scared to answer questions. And then when he does, in an interview with you, he winds up not telling the truth. That is uh, Governor Christie, who clearly is running for president, whether Trump does or not. I think President Trump's going to make it official very soon. Uh, everyone's leaking it out. Uh, I don't know if he can win, to be honest, because he's got to find a way to get people that don't love him to like him enough to vote for him. People that love him are not going to budge, obviously. So he's stuck at about 38 percent. But that is Governor Christie, who seems to drill down better than anybody else as a pundit and analyst than anyone. I think he's going to be a solid contender. We'll see what happens because he knows the legal stuff. He actually knows the political stuff. And he knows how to win over moderates. He at least he used to. We'll see what how it happens. Meanwhile, Biden's handling of the issues: forty-five percent approve of him on the economy, forty-four percent overall, thirty-six percent of independents, which is devastating to his hopes for any type of decent showing at the midterms. On the pandemic, he got he was about sixty-five percent approval. That's down to fifty-two. As we tear each other's eyes out over vaccine mandates and masks. And then Afghanistan, 26% approve of the way he got out of Afghanistan. When 80% of the public want us out and they 26% approve, uh, that's pretty devastating, but, uh, but reflective of how poorly it was done. So now he wants to switch and talk about something else. According to uh, Senator Cassidy, he says he could just take a win. On the 27th of this month, they are going to vote on the bipartisan bill on its merits. Get the House to pass it and take a win. But instead, he is going to want to jam down our throat $3.5 trillion. Mark Thiessen weighed in. Cut 19. If they were smart, Joe Biden needs a win right now. Mm-hmm. If What he should be saying to Pelosi and Schumer is, get that bipartisan bill on my desk so I can have a signing ceremony at the White House surrounded by Republicans and Democrats and claim a victory. We need a victory right now because we've had nothing but defeats. But the progressive wing won't let him have that. Yeah, because Joe Manchin has made it clear he is not signing off of the $3.5 trillion. He said the taxes are too high. The call, you know, the up in taxes for the upper bracket as well as corporate bracket, it did, uh, corporate bracket go too high, and they don't pay for everything anyway. And this stuff is ridiculous. Free junior colleges for re- people that can afford it, daycare and, and, and child care and school lunches and elder care, cradle to grave. We can't afford it. That's just not the way our system's set up. Go to Sweden. See how you like it. Not here. It won't work. Free money is never free. It costs the next generation. Irresponsible. Next, Colonel Allen West. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We believe it's around 100. We're in touch with... Uh, all of them uh, who we've identified uh, on a regular basis. We are going to find ways uh, to get them, the ones that want to leave, to get them out of Afghanistan. Really, around 100. Uh, that's Ron Klain, chief of staff for President Biden. Around 100. But we've been in touch with all of them. Impossible. You don't round off conversations and numbers of Americans in country. Colonel Allen West there, 
Uh, he's running for Texas governor, senior fellow at the Media Research Center. Uh, Colonel, around 100? This guy wants to just move on. Around 100 people, do you believe this? No, I don't believe it's good be, to be with you, Brian. You know, the chief of staff of the White House sounded very flippant, uh, and you would think that they would have known exactly uh, the number of people that are there, that they would have done the proper research. That would be job number one. But what you see happening through the Biden administration, especially in the State Department, they just need to get out of the way. Uh, you have many different veterans organizations, groups working with private sector uh, philanthropists and, and people that are helping out, providing the humanitarian opportunities to get people out. But the fact that we're sitting here right now, we're watching uh, via, via satellite, you know, six planes that are sitting on the runway at Mazar Sharif. And the Taliban is basically saying, we're not going to let them go until you recognize us. So we do have a hostage situation. We have a hostage crisis that is worse than the one that we had back in 1979 when there were 52 Americans being held for 444 days, ended up being uh, because of the Ayatollah Khomeini and the uh, Iranian Islamic Revolution. But here's the difference. We uh, Carter didn't deny that they were there. This guy denies yeah. they were there. And now we got to find out the military base has been told to make accommodations for 50,000 Afghans. 50,000. Out of the 120 yeah. we brought out, 5,600, again, we're rounding off, 5,600 were Americans. And they say that 22,000 have come up red when they looked at their irises and mm -hmm. did their biometrics. And those 22,000, we'll put them in Kosovo. Do you believe this? Who do you think these 50,000 are like that are coming here? Well, that shows you once again that we did not have a prioritized means by which we could do the screening over there, which goes back to the debacle of this withdrawal of practice and procedure. Because if you had left all the airfields that you controlled in place, had uh, left the uh, the embassy in place, you could have done all of the screening, all of the gathering of people. And now what you have found is that you have infiltrators into these uh, groups of people that just were loaded onto C-17s instead of making sure that we had the Americans, we had the SIB, the Special Immigration Visa Holders, uh, and their families. I, wanted to, I want you to go through this soundbite from General Mark Milley. I was astounded by his interview with Jennifer Griffin. Uh, what he says philosophically when he should be more embarrassed and almost he should have offered to resign nine times during this interview. Let, you're the military guy, though, so let's listen. Let's listen to cut number one. The Army itself, the Army and the police forces were mirror-imaged in many ways, uh, and we created and developed forces uh, that looked like Western forces. Uh, and I think one of the big lessons learned here is uh, maybe those forces were not designed appropriately for the type mission. Excuse me, the... excuse me. You've been doing this for 20 years. We've been out for one week. Now you say that maybe we were training them with the wrong philosophy and tactics and techniques? Are you crazy? How does he get away with that? Well, again, it's just it's astonishing to me because, as you know, when, when you and I first uh, met, that was when I was over in Afghanistan working and training with the Afghan National Army back in 2005 to 2007. And I will tell you that the Afghans are good fighters at, at the small unit level, you know, maybe the, yeah. the platoon level at the best. And uh, But to try to think that we're going to make them into division level, brigade, corps, being able to teach them how to do uh, combined arms operations, bringing in air power and intelligence synchronization and things of that nature, that was a bridge too far. And one of the adjustments that we made while I was there was we recognized that and we put more emphasis on commando units. And they were very good uh, being uh, at that level of yeah. commando units. You know, but, but that should have been the model. And that's what we saw. But 
You know, I'm just going to tell you that there are people in the Pentagon that want to hear what they want to hear. There are civilian leadership that want to hear what they want to hear. Why? Because it's all tied to dollars. And unfortunately, now we see $85 billion worth of equipment left over there that we did not properly understand the, the means by which and the philosophy of right. the people there and the tribal nature of the, uh, of but, the Afghan people. But he failed. He, he reportedly, yes, I can't he do it by his biography, but he was on the ground as, as a ground commander. And now he's been chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for three or four years. And, you know, he was making his way through the Pentagon. Where's his reality check? I mean, at the very least, don't get the job if they're not going to do what you're going to say. And now he said maybe we tra- didn't train him the right way. Didn't train him the right way. What were you doing? I want you to hear the rest of this. Let's listen. At a much faster rate uh, and very unexpected uh, by pretty much everybody. Uh, and then with that is the collapse of the Afghan government. Afghanistan's always been a very difficult issue. One so let's just hear what he just said. His, the, 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 gov- the army fell apart in a very quick way, something nobody was expecting, along with the collapse of the Afghan government. Now, we know about a phone call that he told Karzai, just like Biden did, to change the perception and the optics. And then he could, the Karzai said, we have ten to 15,000 led by and uh, brought in through Pakistan this is a full bore invasion. Can we please have air cover? And he's saying he planned for all contingencies, but they fell apart faster than anyone thought. He's not telling the truth, uh, Colonel. No, he's, this is this no, is a flat not. out lie. No, he's not. And the reason why uh, that that military force collapsed was because they were told, uh, you know, in a, in a drop of a dime, you're not going to have the air cover. You're not going to have any intelligence support. So all of those combat multiplying assets that we provided to them to be able to be an effective ground force somewhat uh, would been, had been taken away from them. And so what do you think that they're going to do? I mean, you just see them, you know, fighting very strongly there in the Panjshir Valley. Well, why wouldn't General Milley and Secretary of Defense also say to President Biden, hey, look, we can provide them air cover there in the Panjshir Valley? Because as a matter of fact, that's how we got started 20 years ago when we brought in special forces that provided air cover and air support to the Northern Alliance under General Dalston. So why can we replicate and do the exact same thing now? This is just a complete strategic, operational, and tactical failure. The foreign policy and national security uh, team, uh, part of the Biden administration, his entire National Security Council should resign, but they don't have the the honor or the integrity or the character to do so. They won't, right. And by the way, they were forced out. Do you know what was seen in the area? Pakistan forces, along with armed drones. When did Pakistan get armed drones? We had to have given it to them. And they are out there fighting for the Taliban. Really? That's where we got bin Laden. We were surprised. I mean, we not even a strong phone call or measured words or a blistering from Joe Biden or his secretary of defense or state. They're allowed to do that. And we just shrug our shoulders. Well, remember that Osama bin Laden was uh, found in Abbottabad, Pakistan, which is their version of West Point. That's where the Pakistan Military Academy is. And if you want to believe that Pakistan did not know a six foot six Saudi Arabian was living there in Abbottabad, I've got a lot of farmland to sell you uh, somewhere in between the east and west coast of Florida. The, the thing that we have to realize is that the Pakistan ISI, their intelligence service organization, is the Taliban. They have been working with and providing intelligence support and resource support to the Taliban. Uh, Whenever the snows come in, the Taliban go back over into Pakistan, and they're given the comfort aid uh, by the the, the Pakistani government. 
Absolutely, and the Hakani Network. So, so, you know, all of these, I, I'm just a guy sitting out here in San Angelo, Texas, and I could see this. So who are we paying, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars to sit up there in the White House and the Pentagon, whatever, and they could not see this? Yeah, right. And, Colonel, he's he can't, not only is General Milley saying he can't, uh, he can't properly assess the Afghans, how is he supposed to properly uh, assess the enemy if he can't even properly assess the allies? I mean, this is tragic. This is the last thing I want to play for you. Cut three. Well, if we went in and retook Bagram, if that were to happen, um, if that decision were ever made, um, we had contingencies to do that, by the way, and those were briefed. Um, but that's a significant troop commitment, number one. You're looking at 18th Airborne Corps. You're probably looking at 10,000 or more additional forces. Uh, and then you're going to have to secure Bagram, you're going to have to clear Kabul, and you're going to have to secure Kia. So your total... You're looking somewhere in the range of fifteen to 20,000 additional forces. And most importantly, you would reinitiate a war with the Taliban, which, of course, we could do. Uh, but that's what would have happened. So you would have been fighting the ISIS and the Taliban. Okay, number one, if you can get 5,000 in four days, you could put fifteen to 20,000. The American people would understand that we have to secure Americans and the remaining American forces, and we have no choice, and we have to bulk up to slim down. We could easily have understood that had he been able to squint through a prompter, his prompter, prompter copy, copy, and told us exactly what he was up to. We would have understood it. we got to make sure Americans are safe. Therefore, to get out, we're going to have to create some corridors in two separate situations. Uh, we chose not to give air cover to the Afghan army. They decided to leave. We will take control of this and have these diplomats do their job for a change, say the Taliban. You touch one hair or any of our guys' heads or women's heads— we will blow you up like you've never been blown up before. And they would have backed off like they did for the last year and a half because we were leaving. No, yeah. no you're absolutely right, Brian, uh, because as Ronald Reagan talked about, peace through strength. And, uh, and also, you know, having spent time in, in Afghanistan and in the Middle East, there are people that only understand strength and might. Uh, right now, they're not seeing that. And again, it goes back to the fact that you had control. You had these major airfields there in Herat, in Kandahar, in Mazar Sharif, in Barbum, that you control those uh, airfields. You control the airspace there. So why would you give that up and then you know have yourself relegated to one single uh, aerial port of embarkation and debarkation, uh, which was, uh, quote-unquote, security was provided outside the perimeter by the Taliban? who is an Islamic terrorist organization. So when I listen to General Milley, you know, God bless his heart, but just excuses. And leaders don't provide excuses. Leaders provide solutions. He did not provide the right solutions in this case. And he should step down. Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Uh, how's the run for governor? Governor Abbott's numbers have mm-hmm. dropped. This Texas abortion rule has created controversy as well as the Texas election law, which I know you're in support of, as am I, because it doesn't exclude yeah. anyone. It tightens up your regulations. But if you look at all those things, uh, what, do you, what is your view on the Texan abortion law? And I think the most controversial thing, just to put it broadly, is you deputize a lot of Texans to go out and report people that are getting illegal abortions. 
Well, the thing is that it is not an abortion law, it's a heartbeat bill. And I don't know anyone who would agree with murdering an unborn baby in the womb after a heartbeat has been detected. And I find it very hypocritical because last year it was the left saying that we should go out there and report people that were uh, having unlawful gatherings in their home violating COVID regulations or, or what mandates or what have you. You know, I believe that we have to protect life and the Number one inalienable right that we have is life, unborn and born life. And so that's what we're doing here in Texas. Roe v. Wade started here in Texas. I believe Roe v. Wade should end here. Since Roe v. Wade, 1973, over 60 million babies have been murdered in the womb. And you want to talk about a genocide? Look at the numbers for the black community. We're getting close to 25 million black babies murdered in the womb since 1973. So this is something that we need to deal with. And, and I think that it's the right issue to, to make a stand on. So I will say uh, hats off to the folks here at Lubbock, Texas, the largest sanctuary city for life in the United States of America. Uh, San Angelo, where I am right now, is uh, fighting to stay a uh, sanctuary city for life. So I think you're seeing some things change here in Texas. And then as far as our election integrity, uh, we have to have honest and fair elections. And there's no way that we should believe that you should not be able to show a picture ID in order to vote. But yet, when you see the open borders policy that the Biden administration is implementing that lets you know exactly what they're trying to do. Combine that with H.R. 1, they want to undermine our representative democracy and the sovereignty of the state of Texas. Lastly, real quick, on the border, the return to Mexico uh, policy might be back into play, but they're going to do it return to Mexico light. Uh, there's, uh, there's signs that Mexico is trying to break up a couple of caravans, but how bad, what, how bad will these numbers be at the end of August? And do you believe Democrats are getting the message on the catastrophe on our border and how the Border Patrol is dr- dramatically overtaxed? No, the Democrats don't care about what's going on on the border. This is an intentional plan, like I said, to undermine the sovereignty of the state of Texas and uh, the United States of America. We now have a drug crisis, a human and sex trafficking crisis, and a public health crisis. Uh, And when I look at the numbers, I just saw them Sunday night. The numbers for August will be somewhere about 180,000 apprehensions. But again, another 37 to 38,000 getaways uh, is not getting any better. Uh, July was 210,642, I believe, and again, another 38 to 39,000 getaways. We have a crisis here, and the Biden administration is not going to do anything to correct it. That's why Texas has to step up and do something, and that's why I'm running to be the next governor of Texas, so we will do something about securing our border. And if people want to support you, uh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel, where do we go? They go to West, the number four, Texas.com. That's West for Texas.com. And I appreciate that. Brian. All right. Go get him, Colonel. Uh, Colonel Allen West. Thanks. Roger. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you on a need to know basis, because man, do you need to know you're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We had more people working in America than at any time in our nation's history. What does Joe Biden do? He had the opportunity to keep our borders closed. All he had to do was follow the Trump policies. He had the opportunity to make sure our economy was booming by following the Trump policies. And he reversed all of the great work that President Trump did. And we're now seeing that. And finally... 
The polls are reflecting that with Joe Biden's approval numbers finally underwater, and it's going to continue to get worse. The miss today of the, the economic downturn, they're blaming on the COVID variant. The truth is Joe Biden wants to pay people to stay home and they should be working. Small businesses are being crushed by over government regulation. And if this was the Trump administration, businesses would be booming again. Well, I mean, nobody can pick, predict a variant, but we did say once we get the vaccine out, all our problems are over. That was his mission accomplished moment that he wants back on July 4th. Necessarily blame him for that. We were done before that. Then they had the mask mandates uh, being lifted around June, I think. I think the Biden administration was surprised by that. But since then, we see pure politics. A booster shot that was uh, FDA was divided on it was pure politics to quit because of it. Now we have can't get an answer on why. Uh, the Moderna shot doesn't get FDA full approval or the Johnson & Johnson shot, just the Pfizer shot. Now they're going to come up with pills. They're going to want to take pills every single day. Why? Do you know in Israel they're up to the fourth booster shot? Are you ready for a fourth booster shot? I don't know. Uh, it was hard enough getting people to take their first two shots. Now, I think one thing is clear. The American people do not want mandates. They don't want mass mandates. They don't want vaccine mandates. You explain to them the benefits of it. They make their decision. And how unbelievable is it that you're watching Meet the Press, maybe on Sunday, with a few that still do watch it, and they're talking about all the problems with Trump voters and Republicans for taking the vaccines. I think it's slightly off from Democrats. When they're not talking about people that they don't have the courage to go after, and that's minorities, mostly African-Americans, they are leading the charge of people that are, that are dubious when it comes to taking the vaccine. That's their choice. You won't even talk about that because— You don't want to seem like somebody that is not culturally sensitive. But don't bring up the topic if you don't want to talk about it holistically or comprehensively. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I got the president of Freedom Fighter coming out. If you want to see where to see me live on stage where you can talk about it and I can talk to you, briankilmeade.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, Stephen Hayes will be joining us. And we'll do a simulcast on FBN with Stuart Varney. Look at this uh, economy where we're coming out, now, coming out of now, and that is the supplemental insurance, which I think has helped leave 10 million jobs unfilled. 10 million jobs available. And this number, 5.7. 5.7 million jobs have not come back from the pandemic. Needless to say, the help wanted signs are everywhere. Will people start taking advantage of them? We'll see about that. We know Tony Blinken has uh, landed in Qatar to thank that nation for help with the Afghan evacuations. You know we're paying them big time. What are we thanking them for? Although they were very, uh, they're very valuable for us because they were the one of the few to talk to the Taliban, uh, which makes them question a little their duplicity when it comes to supporting the Taliban over these last 20 years. Uh, we also know, too, that uh, next week Tony Blinken will go in front of a Senate committee to try to answer some pressing questions like, what the hell were you thinking? Uh, when it comes to the Afghanistan pullout. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We need to keep in mind that this is the same administration that rolled back Trump-era vetting requirements for those same sponsors. We had put in place a very robust sponsoring uh, procedures to make sure we knew who those individuals were. This administration rolled back those, and now they are releasing them 
Yeah, now we'll see if they're going to come back. Uh, the border. President Biden gets a gift from the courts as an opening to use Trump's Remain in Mexico policy in Arizona, New Mexico, as well as Texas, all being overrun big time by all-time records of illegals. Your move, Joe. Number two. We had more people working in America than at any time in our nation's history. What does Joe Biden do? He had the opportunity to make sure our economy was booming by following the Trump policies, and he reversed all of the great work that President Trump did, and we're now seeing that, and finally, the polls are reflecting that. Falling fast, that's what's happening to the president's approval numbers in every conceivable category. His solution? Change the subject and pass the cradle-to-grave reconciliation package. The bipartisan Senate bill waits on hold. Why doesn't he just take that win? Number one. Is the U.S. safer today since the U.S. has withdrawn from Afghanistan? The short answer to your question is we don't know yet, but the conditions are very likely, in my opinion, uh, that you could see a resurgence of terrorism coming out of that general region within 12, 24, 36 months. Yeah, great job. Uh, that is General Milley. Uh, what a disaster he is. A mess of a mission in every way, and it's not over and getting worse. As the Taliban take control of Afghanistan, and Americans remain in-country as ill-screened refugees stream into ours. While the media wants to move on, we will not, and the more of the architects of this debacle speak up, the more the rage rises, especially because we have Americans in-country and it's outside organizations that are helping them get out. Uh, the latest example just happened. We had a family of four got out. We got their audio. We saw some of their video. They said they were helpless. They showed us what it was like going to the checkpoint in uh, amongst Taliban and being rejected time and time again. And then inexplicably, when Corey Mills and his group, he's a former DOD official and combat veteran, get them out, the State Department tries to take credit. Steve Hayes, you've seen a lot in your career as editor and CEO of The Dispatch, Fox News contributor. A writer for years. Have you ever seen something like this? I mean, this is this is pretty bad. It's it's basically like a, a slow motion hostage situation where we have in, in leaving the country, given any leverage we had left other than basic bribery, other than paying off the Taliban, we've given it away. So you have the Taliban now making demands of the, the groups trying to get these remaining Americans out of country and uh, groups trying to work with uh, Af- Afghan friends of the United States. The Taliban can just tell them what they want in order to get them out. Joe Biden originally said that he'd get everybody out. He obviously didn't intend, I don't think, intended to keep that promise. He certainly hasn't kept that promise. And now you're, you have the situation where they're stuck. And, you know, it's interesting. The administration pegs the number at between 100 and 200 Americans remaining in Afghanistan, I've asked people who are involved in these evacuation efforts whether they believe that number to tell me the number, how many do they think. You know, nobody has an exact number, but nobody I've talked to thinks that that's the right number, and people think it's much higher than that. Ron Klain says, I've been in touch with everyone around 100. So you're rounding off the numbers. It's a, it's a clean number, and you've talked to all of them. Nobody believes that. And then Michael McCall's on with Chris Wallace, and he brings up this, cut four. We have six airplanes at Mazar Sharif Airport, six airplanes with American citizens on them as I speak, uh, also with these interpreters, and the Taliban is holding them hostage for demands. They are not clearing the airplanes to depart. They, they've set, sat at the uh, airport for the last couple of days, uh, these planes, and they're not allowed to leave. Uh, we know the reason why is because the Taliban wants something in exchange. And Masri Sharif, right? 
many of whom don't have passports, according to the Afghans or the Taliban, and thus far are unable to leave the country. Really? Because the White House and the U.S. State Department are holding up the charter planes, they hear. The White House is not only not helping, they're holding up the charter planes. David Rohde said of somebody who's not known as a right-wing uh, conservative commentator, he said, I want to repeat this. It is the State Department and the White House holding up the planes. He said that civilians uh, that civilians are far more ambitious, far more dynamic, and far more successful than what the administration is doing. So not only are they not helping, they are hurting. They say there are 19 Americans and 40 SIV holders um, there, and they were going to go to Albania. David Rohde, who is a hostage in that area, writes for New Yorker now, I guess, NewYork.com, said that that's a fact. What do you hear? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear similar things. It, it's hard to get a straight story out of there. Uh, one of the women who runs an organization that's working to get the vac- the, the Afghans um, out of of there from the airport uh, told Agence France Press that she didn't think it was quite uh, the level of a hostage situation, as Chairman McCall described it, but that things were dire, that they weren't being allowed to leave. Um, either way, you have people who are there who want to get out, who can't get out. The State Department gave a statement to Agence France Press for this article and said, in effect, look, don't come looking to us for answers. We don't even have people on the ground there. How are we supposed to tell you what's going on? And I read that and thought, well, of course, that's the whole problem here. That's why everybody told you in some cases literally for more than a decade to start this process rolling. If you wanted to get these SIVs out, if you wanted to get Afghan friends out, the time to have done this was years ago, not in a scramble right now when you don't have people there to help facilitate the departure. That's triply true of any Americans that are remaining on the ground. And you hear this frustration. I've talked to several members of Congress who are working on this. A lot of this stuff, you know, we're getting stories about this. We're getting reports about this. But I think we're not getting as many reports as we could be getting because people are, you know, are worried about these, particularly the Americans who are in country, in peril, whether they're in and around Kabul, whether they're out uh, near Kandahar or Mazari Sharif, they don't want to be talking about them because everybody else that the Taliban learns is in country then becomes a target. Yep. And this is the problem. This is exactly why, you know, so many people, including many Democrats, implored the Biden administration not to do this, not to take this irresponsible step. And they just did it anyway. They did it anyway. And then the president declared it a success, which is really outrageous. So just to finish my original point on the other group, uh, the first family of four got out. Corey Mills says he believes it's the first land crossing. Uh, yet. And he's got to go back again. So immediately the Senate State Department, uh, the senior State Department officials announced the U.S. has facilitated the safe departure of four citizens. And here's what Ronnie Jackson said. Uh, he said, after two weeks of multiple life-threatening attempts, I am overjoyed to share the announcement of four of fours got out. Thank you to Corey Mills. And he said, after the State Department took credit, this article makes me want to puke. The State Department didn't do a damn thing to help these people for 12 days except almost get them killed repeatedly. I know because my office and the team on the ground, led by Corey Mills, facilitated their escape every step of the way. I mean, how, oh my goodness, not only do you let Americans wither and waste away, but you're taking credit when they finally find a way to get out uh, with an outside group. Well, think about this, Brian. I mean, Think about well, let's assume for a second, just for the sake of discussion, that the State Department did play a role and was and was helpful. Think about what they are boasting about. They're boasting about Four. letting 
a, a family of Americans escaped the brutality of Taliban-controlled Afghanistan uh, under duress. I mean, basically having to, to hide, to get out. That's nothing to brag about. And I think that the, the, the problem with the State Department, particularly State Department spokesman Ned Price right now, they have zero credibility. I mean, Ned Price is a well-known and aggressive liar. And I don't use that word lightly. He lied about the bin Laden documents when he was running uh, press for the DNI's office. He's lying on a daily basis at the State Department podium. And there's no reason anybody should have any confidence in, in what he says. I want you to, I know you remember this, Steve Hayes, Cut 16, the day September 6, 2006. I'm announcing today that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Abu Zubaydah, Ramzi bin al-Sheib, and 11 other terrorists in CIA custody have been transferred to the United States Naval Base at Guantanamo Bay. They are being held in the custody of the Department of Defense. As soon as Congress acts to authorize the military commissions I have proposed, the men our intelligence officials believe orchestrated the deaths of nearly 3,000 Americans on September the 11th, 2001, can face justice. That was 2006. Now here we are in 2021, 40 rounds of pretrial hearings, since the five detainees were down to were arraigned in May of 2012, and now they're going back for free, uh, pretrial this week. What's your answer? What's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's really frustrating. I mean, this is there is so much that we know about the roles of of these men in perpetrating uh, the 9/11 attacks, planning for the 9/11 attacks, helping lead to the execution of the attacks. It's really a shame that we've had these kinds of delays. I think, you know, the, the bigger problem, and this is a, a, a key part of it, is there's been this revisionist history of the attacks of the war in Afghanistan, of the war in Iraq, of all of these things that have led people to conclude, you know, maybe there really wasn't that big a threat after all. You know, yes, there were these attacks, but it was sort of a one-off. We haven't had a big attack since then. You have people in the New York Times speculating openly that the Taliban wanted to just give up, and we really didn't need to go to, go to war in Afghanistan to fight back against the Taliban to go after al-Qaeda. And you're seeing this revisionist history, I think, play out in the rhetoric of the Biden administration as they try to, to treat the Taliban as our new counterterrorism partners. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's counter-historical, and I think it's really dangerous. Ramzi bin al-Shiv, Walid Mohammed uh, bin Atash, Ramzi bin al-Shiv, as I mentioned, Ramzi... Uh, uh, now, uh, uh, Hasawami, uh, they have pretrial hearings. They all did different things. Uh, here he goes. Atash is accused of training two of the hijackers hand-to-hand combat. Al-Sheib is suspected of organizing the Hamburg sale and providing financial assistance to Mohammed Atta and others responsible for taking over the planes and, of course, getting those uh, lessons. Now, Khalid Mohammed admitted to this. He wanted to die. He has since changed, and they're trying to build off the fact that we used enhanced interrogation, and they waterboarded all these guys multiple times. Will that go a long way? Is that going to be substantiated in in this court trial? Uh, that's a good that's a good question. I think you know you have their their lawyers um, and and 
folks who are on their side making that case very aggressively. And it's part of the reason that we are where we are. I mean, it's part of the reason that this has taken as long as, as it's taken. Um, you know, they should have a trial. They, they are going to get their, their trial. But what's in the public record already it gives us plenty of evidence about what they did, how they did it, and why they should be punished right now. I, I expect we'll get more of that evidence um, when we finally get to a, a real trial, but I think it will be complicated by these arguments that this was ill-gotten evidence and we can't, it can't be used. And let me tell you what bothers me, Steve. I always thought about this, too. As long as you have high-value targets alive— they could be used to swap. We saw about the Taliban five. They're back in power, literally living in a palace and for, for we know, uh, Bo Bergdahl. And now what if they get a high-profile American? What if they turn up there and they said, we'd like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed back? Do we say no? Yeah, I mean, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare. This is a nightmare scenario. I mean, Brian, I remember talking to you. When the Taliban Five were released, I, with my my uh, frequent writing partner Thomas Jocelyn for the Foundation of F- Defense of Democracies, who writes the Vital Interest newsletter for the Dispatch, has been right about Afghanistan for 20 years. We we co-wrote a a big piece profiling the Taliban Five, detailing what they had done to support the Taliban and support Al Qaeda, and you know basically was met with a shrug of the shoulders. This is what happened. You had the Obama administration repeatedly repatriating or releasing people from Guantanamo who had big records that were compiled by our military intelligence professionals. They went through the Obama administration's review board. They were determined that they were you know, mid to low level threats. Some of them, they've, they've released high level threats. And just let them go. Uh, you know, supposedly they were being monitored in these third-party countries that we uh, had deals with. But this is not a good situation. And I, that's exactly what you worry about, uh, that kind of a scenario where, you know, we have we have something they want, they have something we want, and you have those kinds of, of swaps and do great damage, I think, to the United States. I think Khalid Sheikh Mohammed would be a non-starter. I think Ramsey bin Al-Sheib, Abu Zubaydah, some of these others as well. Steve Hayes, Fox News contributor, editor and CEO of The Dispatch. I'm a subscriber. I recommend you guys do it, too. Steve, thanks so much. You bet. Thanks, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This president, to add insult to injury, has been lying to the American people for two weeks. He said al-Qaeda has been decimated in Afghanistan. Not true. He said our allies didn't have concerns with the way in which this has been conducted. Not true. He said Americans weren't having trouble getting to the airport. Well, obviously, we just left hundreds, if not thousands, of them behind. So that was a massive lie. The foundation of our foreign policy has always been peace through strength, well, the Biden doctrine is to sow chaos through weakness. It is. And I, I love this Biden doctrine story. The Biden doctrine comes into play in The New York Times as they try to come up with one. It is be humanitarian only what's in our national interest. So we're leaving and alienating. And our secretary of state, I hope stuff leak out about his terrible meeting with our allies, as well as our secretary of defense, who looks so over his head. And he's 6'6". So you imagine how over his head he is. Uh, I just never seen a guy more clueless. I want you to hear what Brit, uh, well, we don't have enough time for it. 
But so many analysts have come in and said there's so many facets to the story. Number one, why do we leave the way we did? Number two, why do we leave Americans behind? Number three, the people we got out, 122,000, who the heck are they? Why are 50,000, why are military base being told to prepare for 50,000 refugees from Afghanistan when they also tell us the SIVs, most of which did not get out? Our private industry and our former our former men and women that used to fight are now retired, are helping get out citizens with American passports and green card holders and, dare I say, SIVs, because our State Department wouldn't. And think about the cost. They say the cost of each one, $250,000. When we come back, uh, I'll take your calls on this. I'm sorry that it was so short because I went so long with Stephen Hayes. one 408 The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Originally, our plan was to go ahead and do an air evac. That was absolutely thwarted by the the CENTCOM command and the State Department. When we tried to land our plane, we had approved PPRs to land in HKIA. We had approved flyover approvals in the FAA. Our plane had been designated as an emergency humanitarian aircraft, which meant that we didn't have to to meet just the seat standards, but we could actually do a weight and balance standard, which meant that I could have put 25 Americans, Brian, onto that plane. And as we were at like 9,000 feet in descent, landing gear down with an approved PPR landing slot, they waved us off. Think about that. Think about private industry, experienced military men and women, combining with uh, the industry, I would say, corporate America and some great foundations to try to get Americans out because the State Department can't or won't. And that was Corey Mills. Corey Mills, former DOD official and combat veteran, put together a group. Uh, The Sentinel uh, Foundation has helped them. And all these private groups are doing just fantastic work, and someday they'll get the credit they deserve when this is over, but it's far from over, even though the administration wants it to be. Joining us now, uh, Chad Robichaud, former recon uh, Marine and DOD contractor with eight deployments in Afghanistan as part of a joint special operations command task force. Chad is working to get Americans and SIVs out. Chad, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on. Chad, what, what have you decided, what have you tried to do, what have you done, and where do you go from here? You know, you know, this all started for me with, you know, MIA deployments to Afghanistan. I had a very unique job where I worked one-on-one with not just an interpreter, they ended up being my teammate. And, and we worked as, as a AFOs doing clandestine logistics for a special operations task force, essentially just living with him on all eight of my deployments. And, and uh, because of that nature of the way we work together, um, him saved my life on multiple times, me interacting with his family and the culture there. We became very close fr- friends, you know, living together for a period of almost four years. And so uh, I was committed to getting him, his his wife, and his six children out. Uh, he had already been targeted uh, for working in special operations. Several of his friends had already been killed that had worked with us. And so it was, I was trying through the SIV process. It's a failed system. It was never intended to work uh, from my my. Uh, viewpoint. And uh, so I had decided I was going to go with Dan Stenson, one of my teammates, and we were going to get him out. And uh, so we started doing this on our own. And as we started building our team and our infrastructure to do the operation, we realized how many others were going to be left behind. Particularly, we identified a group of 3,000 orphans. And so we went to uh, some of our team members met with the UAE government and the UAE. I could say this now, I couldn't say it a few days ago. The UAE government uh, gave us kind of full carte blanche resources, military aircraft and airport, uh, five generals to work with us at liaison 
uh, liaison with the UAE military, and we launched an operation with with uh, two joint op- joint operations centers, uh, 12, 12 former special operations operators, people on the ground in Kabul, and we uh, in a period of eight days we got 8,911 out, 8,911 out. In addition, we supported and assisted uh, another 3,000, so about 12,000 people we got out in eight days, primarily SIVs, American citizens, uh, orphans, uh, orphans and, and women that would be uh, vulnerable women, as well as Christians who would have been, we know, would have been persecuted. Right. So you were able to get 8,000 out via the airport, right? Yes. We, uh, we, we were doing it through HKIA. HKIA. We, when we first got there, they, were, they had stopped letting commercial aircraft land. Uh, because so many humanitarian efforts were trying to land. So we, we simply said, hey, we'll designate a person uh, to sit in your talk, and we'll put everyone on, together in, a, in, in one group, and we'll manage it under what we called COMTF, Commercial Task Force. So we, we essentially took over managing all the commercial aircraft, and they allowed us to do it uh, up, until, up until the last two days. So, did, as far as you know, did anyone get out that wasn't in Kabul when the when the collapse happened? You know, uh, no. Um, you know, this I've heard I've heard some stories of uh, you know people getting rat lined out, uh, out out of different parts, like the north from the north. Uh, I've heard boomers of people getting out through Pakistan, um, but I I haven't confirmed any of that those to be true, um, and then. We had, uh, as you know, and I think everybody's learning now, um, at Mazda Sharif Airport, we had uh, some amazing NGOs that we were working with at Nazarene Fund, Glenn Beck and those guys, we were working side by side with them. Their planes were, were stopped uh, from the State Department from leaving. And, uh, you know, Taliban showed up with the manifest of those people that were on it and seized those aircraft, seized the passengers, including American citizens. And right now and, they're uh, still on the aircraft, though, right? That's that's what uh, that's what I'm understanding. They're still on the aircraft. They're still, you know, it's not allowed to leave. Uh, that's that's as as of yesterday, I knew that to be true firsthand. Chad Robichaud with us now. He put together a group. He's former uh, recon marine. Put together a group to try to get Americans out because the State Department uh, won't, and it doesn't seem like the White House cares. And where we are, Chad, when when you if someone was asked you to give a number. Uh, even a ballpark number on how many Americans, green hard holders, or SIVs are still in Afghanistan. First off, on Americans, how many are still there? I've been bashed for saying this because it's so it's so far off from the White House. But my personal estimation, from what I know, is close to five thousand. Five thousand Americans. Yeah, I mean it's just simple math based on uh, you know the White House kept saying ten thousand. People were saying twenty thousand. Then the White House said they got out. 5,000. So even if conservatively you're saying uh, you're, you're going with the White House's numbers of 10,000 and then they got out 5,000, you know, I'm no mathematician, but the remaining number is 5,000, not 200. And uh, and this is a pretty common consensus amongst all the NGOs who have been on the ground working this, especially those of us in the special operations community who had boots on the ground outside of HKIA. The truth is no one knows because and it, because we, the State Department doesn't track this. It's not required for you to uh, report you're in Afghanistan. It's not required to report that you leave. And so they really have no solid number, and nor did they try to collect one as they knew they were going to pull out. So, uh, Chad, you're working with Save Our Allies. Are you done or are you still working? No, we're still, we're still working, and we're going to work as – I mean, so we're working on two efforts. One, uh, obviously, for 
certain reasons uh, for operational security I can't discuss here, but we're still working every angle we can to get Americans, SIVs, and vulnerable people out of Afghanistan. I, uh, so that's one effort. The other effort is we, we're t- we've taken responsibility for the 8,911 that we put hands on and got to the humanitarian center in Abu Dhabi, and we want to see that all the way through. We feel that's our mission to make sure that they go from home to home. They go, they're p- put through the State Department process with uh, humanity and dignity and respect, and, uh, and particularly these, we got a lot of we have 700 orphans. We have uh, 3,000 vulnerable women. We want to make sure that they're treated right and taken care of on their way. I can understand that. So do you know Corey Mills? I do. Corey's a, Corey's a friend of mine and a so, great man. So he was able to get four a family of four across. He believes it's the first land crossing since America I pulled out and left right. everybody behind. And now the State Department comes out with a statement after they cross. The U.S. has facilitated the safe departure of four U.S. citizens by overland from Afghanistan. That, according to embassy staff, can you talk about the audacity of claiming credit for something they had nothing to do with? In fact, they hurt. Here's here's what Corey said about this. Cut 11. There's quite a bit of inaccuracies there. First off, the Taliban did interfere. I have multiple conversations recorded where the Taliban says on certain occasions, especially the commander who is there, who's on Malawi, and in that he says, we have no agreement, we have no coordination with the Americans to allow you to pass. And, you know, there's a whole string of things that he was basically noting as far as you guys requested these borders to be locked down. Why should we reopen them? We had to go through a lot of kind of shell game trickery, utilizing multiple phones, getting different Malawis to contact one another. And that was how we eventually tricked them into allowing us clearance to get this family across. I mean, do you believe this and then have somebody else take credit for it that hurt the process along the way? I mean, it's it's the whole thing seems like it's out of a some kind of just not like strange novel that is not America. I mean, uh, what Corey's saying is is been story after story since this all began uh, with us trying to help people uh, over almost a month ago. The biggest obstacle that we have faced continually through has been the uh, White House. Um, and then, of course, you know, parts of the State Department. The biggest obstacle our United States military has faced with trying to do their job as Department of Defense has been the White House and the State Department. The NEO operation, the non-combatant, uh, the non-combatant op- uh, evacuation operation, was taken from the DOD and the military and given to the State Department by the White House. It's not supposed to function that way. It'd be like, it'd be like me you know, going in and being asked to work on computer software. I would break something. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. That's the White House gave that operation to the State Department mm-hmm. and created this catastrophic failure. And Chairman joins us. His staff is trying to rationalize it. And the secretary of defense is just befuddled by the position. I haven't seen him say anything that shows he even knows what's going on. Uh, Chad Robichaud, thanks so much for Recon uh, Marine DOD contractor now working with Save Our Allies organization. Uh, and you've already put thousands, brought thousands to safety. Sadly, we need you to have more. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for everything you're doing. Yeah, God bless you guys. Thank you. All right. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll be joined by, uh, I'll be going Varney and Company. We're going to do a simulcast. But then after that, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls. If there's something you want to say, say it. I know you're back at work, back at school, but find some time for us. Appreciate you being there. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Right around the bend. Just a quick reminder as we wait to go on with uh, Stuart Varney and Varney and Company on FBN. Tonight, I'm filling in for Tucker and Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, 8 uh, p.m. I already took a look at the rundown. It is sensational. Uh, you know, this is the highest-rated show in all of television. So uh, I guess cable, but uh, just about everything else at 8 o'clock, being that Happy Days is now off. Uh, so at 8 o'clock, that's pretty much what you want to watch. So hopefully you'll be watching tonight at 8 um, and then the number to call right after this, one 866 So let's listen in together. One Eastern time. You know what that means? It means Brian Kilmeade joins us, and there he is, or shortly. There he is. All right. The president is trying to shift away from Afghanistan and move towards domestic policy, specifically $3.5 trillion worth of socialist spending. I don't think it works. I don't think you can make that transition just like that. What say you? It's up to the American people. Don't allow it. Just say to yourself, hey, foreign affairs may not be on number one on your hit list, but it's after Labor Day, and it should matter. It should matter because American prestige matters. And if you ask anyone walking around the streets in New York, what's Vietnam, they'll think, man, that didn't end well. If you ask anyone about World War II, they'll say, man, I wish more war ends could end cleanly like that. Clear victories against two uh, bitter enemies. This did not end well purposely. He went out of his way to have the worst dismount from a uh, prolonged um, uh, inter interaction in the history of American warfare. But we've got a few moving parts. What happened leading up? We're going to begin to find out about that now. What, how, why did he leave Americans behind? That's unacceptable. Why is the State Department starting to take credit as some one American family was able to cross via land for the first time over the weekend? And what exactly is going on with the refugees? Stuart, I don't know if you saw, but it's reported now that military bases are told to get ready for 50,000 Afghans. Yep. Really? 50,000? Where are we putting them? Maybe they can babysit the unaccompanied minors from the border. Well, is, I, I is there any military things happening on our bases? What are we going to be doing there? Raising them now? Who I'm, are they? I'm with you on all of this, uh, Brian, but you, you suggested that this is deliberate on the part of the president, that he deliberately created this mess at the end. It's a bit strong, isn't it? No, I think that, uh, I'll be clear, I don't think he deliberately did anything. I don't think he knows what he's doing. I think that mm. if the military did go up to him and tell him and didn't tell him what could happen, then they're negligent. If they told him and he ignored it, then he is bizarre gone and unequipped for this position. Because what you are seeing right now, leaving Americans behind, saying everything inaccurate. On July 8th is his January 6th. July 8th is when he told us uh, the Taliban are not going to take over the country. He said that 300,000-man army will hold off a 75,000-man army. They're the best equipped in the world. And number three, uh, we're all going to be safer because of it. None of this stuff has come close to true, and what he's trying to do when you bring up Afghanistan is walk away from it and mutter something inaudibly. And that, I think the American people demand more from their leaders. That's why, according to the latest Washington Post-ABC poll, he's got 36% approval rating with independence and overall 44%. But everything, including co the coronavirus, uh, coronavirus issue, he is dropping on. That's above 50. Everything else is below 50. I think the American people deserve better. And I think with, this, uh, with our CENTCOM, with General Milley said to Jennifer Griffin, uh, the way he's talking about how uh, it was okay to leave, we couldn't take Bagram Air Base, that now it's going to devolve into a civil war, that he couldn't have anticipated Afghan, falling, Afghan army falling apart. Every single one of those statements is unacceptable for a person in his position. 
It looks like we've got a, a hostage situation in play right now. Mazar al-Sharif in the northern part of the country, the airport, there are planes on the runway. They've been there for some time. They contain Americans and special uh, visa people. I think that we're, we're going to buy them out. In other words, their hostages will pay them money to get them out and call it a success. And I think the American people will be appalled at that. Last word to you. Absolutely. What do you think the, what do you think the Secretary of State's doing in Qatar today? They'll be the ones to make the deal. On this case with the six planes done by private industry and not by the State Department who are making it harder, not easier for Americans to get out. And I will say this. I think it's 19 Americans and 40-plus yep, SIVs. It. Yep. Uh, on four separate planes. That's a lot of open seats. I talked to Chad Robichaud with a group called Save Our Allies. He thinks there's 5,000 Americans there. 5,000. What is the State Department doing with 5,000 left behind? We used to not leave deceased Americans behind in the show of battle. We're still negotiating to get Korean War remains back from the Korean War. Yet we're willing to leave, this administration's willing to leave 5,000 Americans who are alive and saying, well, I told you 19 times to get out. Really? You also told us the Afghan army would be able to stand up and that you couldn't have anticipated this type of collapse. You can't have it both ways. And then give us socialism as a sort of a palliative because of the failure in Afghanistan. Cradle to grave, not affordable. Not in this country. Well said, well said. Exactly right, Brian. Thanks very much, Brian. We'll see you again real soon. That's promised. Go Thank you, sir. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's going to be huge payments, and that's going to be the big story. Why is the Taliban cooperating in certain circumstances? Of course, the lower levels, they're, they're just terrorists and thugs. But at the higher levels, why are they cooperating? Because of money and recognition. Flat out. And I thought, too, I don't know if we have time for Sue Gordon. So Sue Gordon is playing politician. She's a, uh, an intelligence expert. So I want you to hear what Sue Gordon said. Um, it's a little long, but just listen to the end. So they, she was asked, what do we do now? Because since Al-Qaeda is there, ISIS is there, the Taliban is there, all sworn enemies of the U.S., what do we do? Listen to Cut 5. It is a fraught area where you have tribal in, and, in, and extremist influences. Um, so it's worrisome. I think the Biden administration now, when presence isn't the advantage we have, when intelligence isn't going to be as good because you don't have that presence, really going to have to double down on the regional partnerships. And you're going to have to rely on non-traditional partners like Russia and China and Pakistan to really do that work in the region to try and influence the stability that is necessary to keep that threat from reemerging. Non-traditional allies? Can you call them enemies? We have to depend on China, Russia, and, oh, yeah, Pakistan, the people that house bin Laden in a fortress. Nice. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York City. Heard around the country, heard around the world. J.D. Vance will be joining us shortly. He wants to be the next senator from Ohio. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. And Desmond Shum, a billionaire and political refugee from China and author of Red Roulette, an insider story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's China. He knows from the inside, telling us now on the outside. So we have a lot to discuss today. We also know, too, that the Secretary of Defense 
and Secretary of State. It's in Qatar to thank them for letting us get our people out. But, man, how much are we paying Qatar? To do that. And now the UAE, we just found out, is also helping us some of these private groups get our people out because the State Department has shown very little interest in doing it. They left their SIVs, left Americans there, but don't let that slow them down. Also, uh, Larry Elder today will hold a press conference uh, for California governor. He has got $13 million raised, but the bad news for him is Gavin Newsom's got about $70 million uh, raised. Next week will be the big runoff there. Uh, okay, and also, if you are somebody that has unemployment insurance, the extra 300 a week, that stops yesterday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We need to keep in mind that this is the same administration that rolled back Trump-era vetting requirements for those same sponsors. We had put in place a very robust sponsoring uh, procedures to make sure we knew who those individuals were. This administration rolled back those, and now they are releasing them. Yeah, it's incredible. That is Chad Wolf, Border Patrol. President gets a gift from the courts, opening now a remaining Mexico policy be reinstituted in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. People are focusing on Texas, and they should. But New Mexico is being overrun at a rate they've never seen before, Arizona as well. That should pay off for Republicans for, uh, for the right reasons in 2022. Number two. We had more people working in America than at any time in our nation's history. What does Joe Biden do? He had the opportunity to make sure our economy was booming by following the Trump policies, and he reversed all of the great work that President Trump did, and we're now seeing that, and finally, the polls are reflecting that. Uh, Corey Lewandowski, falling fast. That's what's happening to the president's approval ratings in every conceivable category. He wants to change the subject to cradle to grave reconciliation package and give people free stuff. I think America knows there's no free lunch. Number one. Is the U.S. safer today since the U.S. has withdrawn from Afghanistan? The short answer to your question is we don't know yet, but the conditions are very likely, in my opinion, uh, that you could see a resurgence of terrorism coming out of that general region within 12, 24, 36 months. Right. Uh, so good job. If you are right, that means you didn't do your job. And if you aren't right, that'll be consistent with everything else, Mark Milley, that you've gotten wrong about Afghanistan. A mess of a mission in every way, and it's not over and getting worse. As the Taliban take control of Afghanistan and Americans remain in-country, all ill-screened refugees stream into our country while the media wants to move on, as well as the administration, but we will not. Uh, joining us now is J.D. Vance. Uh, J.D. is author of Hillbilly Elegy. He's a House Senate candidate. He wants to fill Rob Portman's seat. Uh, J.D., what's your take on what you witnessed last week in Afghanistan? Well, it's just a catastrophe, isn't it? It's, it's kind of amazing how much they've managed to bungle. And I think everything from failing to properly vet refugees that are coming in, failing to ensure that American citizens are on failing to ensure that our Afghan allies were actually properly protected in the wake of the withdrawal. And, of course, the withdrawal itself, which we now learn in a couple of different big ways, was just a total catastrophe. Um, I, I really don't know if I've seen anything in the last, you know, the last five years that is so poorly reflected on not just, you know, the leadership in Washington, but even the bureaucracy of the Pentagon. I think everybody looks bad this looks like a disaster all the way up and down the chain of command. It does. And for Mark Milley to sit out there uh, in retrospect and say this, I was stunned. Cut one. The Army itself, the Army and the police forces were mirror imaged in many ways. Uh, and we created and developed forces uh, that looked like Western forces. Uh, and I think one of the big lessons learned here is 
maybe those forces were not designed appropriately for the type mission. The collapse of the Afghan army happened at a much faster rate uh, and very unexpected. So a couple of things. Now, 20 years later, he thinks he did the wrong style training. He didn't stop yeah. it. He's had this job for three years. <laughs> Oops. He's, he's been out for a week. We've been out for a week. And he yeah. said, maybe we trained them wrong. How many more billions did we have? Trillions did we have to waste? And then he says the Afghan army fell too quick. That's disingenuous at best because we know that he was on the phone with Gahani. And he, Gahani said, we need air power. There's ten to 15,000 Pakistani-sponsored terrorists coming in. It's an invasion. And he said, change the optics just like Joe Biden did. So to me, this is borderline criminal. Yeah, I, I really think it is, and and I'm, I'm I can't be the only American who feels like he was just lied to the last not just the last few years, the last ten or twenty years. I mean, the the generals, the people like Mark Milley, who of course have gone woke on a whole lot of social justice causes, were apparently not doing the job that we hired them to do, and that's just a real, real disaster, and such a sad, such a sad reflection on what our leadership has become because. I really do believe that the troops performed admirably. They were given a nearly impossible task, and they did it bravely, but they were failed by our leaders. Our leaders did not prepare them for this. And what really bothers me about this, now that we're we're clearly past the point of no return, Afghanistan is a disaster, and we're going to be dealing with the consequences for a very long time, Brian, is why aren't these people suffering any consequences? Can you think of any disaster in American history that is this bad where not a single general, not a single Pentagon bureaucrat, Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, no one is suffering consequences because of this. And it just suggests we live in a government that knows it can fail and fail and fail, and there will be no consequences for anyone. That's no way to run a country. Uh, just a, there's a wrong relationship between the military and the White House. We've seen it over and over again. President Obama said that when he would talk to General Petraeus, He'd give him options because, yeah, we could do that. But let me just tell you what's going to happen. You could do that. And then Joe Biden would chime in and say, they're rolling you. No, they're explaining to you what could happen if we do this. And they say, you're not rolling you because they're the experts. They put on the face paint, the camouflage. They go to war college. I, I me, you did. Uh, I didn't. So we're on the outside. I watch a lot of football, but you don't want me calling the plays for the Giants. So this is there's a problem here that Joe Biden wants out, but it's not feasibly militarily to do that and get all the Americans out to leave with dignity. It's not possible. Was that that presented to him at all? And if it was, I want to hear from the general. I told him and this is what he did anyway. Don't blame me or I quit. Yeah, the thing that I want to know above all, Brian, is who made the decision to withdraw from Bagram. I mean, I, I want, look, we should have a congressional investigation about this stuff. We should have senators hauling, generals, Lloyd Austin, the vice president, secretary of state, whoever needs to stand before a congressional committee and say, who made the decision to close down the secure airfield that we had that was easy to evacuate people from before we had, you know, thousands of Americans uh, that were still trapped in Afghanistan? Why did we make this decision? It's like, you know, if you're going to leave a place, the first thing that you do is not to close the exit door. That's the last thing you do, right? You want to make sure the door is open. And, and to me, that is the most catastrophic decision that we made in Afghanistan, is that we didn't control our own airfield. It's going to make it impossible for us to get – and, of course, we know there are still Americans there now. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's a big part of the reason we had the catastrophe that we had. It's also, frankly, why I believe, Brian, we had 
13 dead Marines who didn't need to die because there was no security at Kabul Air Base. We could have had security at Bagram, but we closed it down. So basically what you did is you turned a lot of Marines into effectively TSA agents in a Taliban-controlled airport and were somehow shocked that didn't work out very well for them. Yeah, uh, shocked. I want to pivot uh, because our time is finite about you. You're running for Senate and you're taking on a lot of issues, including Rachel Maddow. She tweeted out something totally irresponsible and inaccurate. She said patients are overdosing on ivermectin, backing up rural hospitals in Oklahoma. Ambulance, the scariest thing I've heard and seen is people coming in with vision loss, he said. Uh, That's what that's what they're hearing. Rachel Maddow. It turns out that was totally not true. Uh, And she was saying something was totally inaccurate, not backed up. And you called her out, and you basically said, um, in a tweet, you came out and said that um, Alex Jones is far more reputable source of information than Rachel Maddow. Um, and one of them is censored by the, uh, the regime. The other is promoted by it. So Alex Jones is somebody that you know said some crazy things about uh, uh, different things that happened in our past, including 9-11 being an inside job. Were you exaggerating to point out that Rachel Maddow is overrated? I think obviously when Alex Jones said 9-11 was an inside job, that was crazy. I think the point I was trying to make is that this is a guy who says some crazy stuff. He also says, you know, occasionally says things that I think are interesting. And Rachel Maddow is a person who has fallen for every conspiracy theory, every hoax that has been popular in left-wing circles for years now. And there's this weird way where people still assume she's a reputable source of information. And I was just kind of trolling everybody a little bit like, look, you guys – clearly think that this person is a serious human being when she's not. She's even more wrong than this person who's engaged in some pretty wacky conspiracy theories over the years. And I I think it's true, but I think it's important for folks on the left to actually acknowledge that some of the sources of information that they see as legitimate are as consistently wrong as anybody in American public life today. They don't have any self-awareness about that fact. And I just wanted to, to point it out. I want you to hear what Joe Rogan said about Alex Jones. That's one of the reasons why the last time I had Alex on, I fact-checked everything he said. Yeah. We, I go, pause. I go, Let's, let, I want to research this. Right. But unfortunately, a lot of it was true. One of but them was this, the Associated yeah. Press report on uh, children catching um, polio from the polio vaccine that they were giving these kids in Africa. It was like this cover of uh, eight. And I was like, that's not real. And then he brings out this article, and you're reading this article about children getting vaccines in Africa and these vaccines giving them polio. Yeah. Well, so this, you know what I'm saying? Like those kind of things I want to, when he says those things, I want to go stop. That that can't be real. And then it turns out to actually be real. So he was getting a lot of blowback because he had Alex Jones on, but that to your point, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, I, I think one of the weird things about America these days is we're totally uncomfortable with wild and wacky people, but sometimes It's the wild and wacky people that see things that are unexpected, that are non-conventional. And, yeah, they're going to be wrong a lot of the times. But the reason you have them around is because when they're right, they're right about the things that everybody else was wrong about. That's an important service that I think these unconventional people serve. And I do think it's a little bit weird that, you know, obviously Alex Jones has said some crazy stuff over the years. But I think it's a little bit weird that, that instead of saying, yeah, you know, sometimes he says some crazy stuff. Let's get on with our lives. There's this desire to censor people and to not let everybody, anybody have their voice heard. That, to me, is not the sign of a healthy society. That's, that's the sign of a society uh, that's really uncomfortable with people who think outside the box. And that's, that's just not where I am. 
How do you, uh, I know you said this started a lot earlier than you thought, much more intense than you thought, but as you get ready for the primary, what, what is it being the political fray? What's it been like for you and your family? You know, it's, I, I've enjoyed it. I like getting out there and meeting people and hearing their stories and just, and just you know, it, it reminds you uh, that, that this country and specifically the state of Ohio, people are good, hardworking, they care about their country, they care about their families. And so I, I've, I've enjoyed it. Obviously, it's kind of weird to be the constant butt of, uh, of media attacks, but I, I, think, I think that shows that I'm, I'm hovering around the target because if the media wasn't attacking me as much as they were, I would worry that I wasn't doing something right. So I take it as a bit of badge of honor that I'm making the right enemies and, and hopefully making the right friends along the way, too. All right. Uh, he wants to be the next senator to replace Rob Portman in Ohio, taking on all issues and all comers. J.D. Vance, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Brian. Take care. You got it. one 408 Your chance to, to uh, take a swing uh, on, national tel- on national radio. one 408 Or go to brianckillmead.com. You can write me, especially if you're back at work, back at school, able to listen with your AirPods, but not able to talk because you're back in format. So just do it that way. I'll read it out loud. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, much as the Biden administration would like to turn, a, turn the page away from this story and focus on other things, I don't think the story will let them do that. Um, the, me- the media, to some extent, will comply and, and focus less on Afghanistan than it did so intensely there for several weeks. Um, but the, Afghanistan is like a time bomb over there. So I think this is overwhelmingly and largely on Biden. But, you know, they, they can't fire him. And if this gets worse for him politically, he might feel the need to get rid of some of these people and be seen as starting, uh, turning over a new leaf. But so far, he has stub- stubbornly clung, uh, as Peter Ducey just reported, to his insistence that this whole thing was, well, this, this was a great success. I don't think the public agrees, and I don't think it's likely to start agreeing anytime soon. Right, but what he wants to do is pass this reconciliation package, and they get the big debate there, and try to get Joe Manchin along with Christine, uh, Kristen Sinema, the senator from Arizona, and then go and pass it. You had Colbert over the weekend coming up and saying, get rid of the filibuster. Great. Uh, that's fantastic. Please, uh, I mean, does anyone even listen to her anymore? So I, I think that it's 100% right, but I think the American people would get distracted if they pass the reconciliation package because, number one, all this money would come flowing in, and we can't afford it, nor am I convinced that any of the money would go in the right direction. I mean, you want to have middle-class people free junior college, community college? Come on. Uh, free preschool, uh, free um, uh, daycare. Free school lunches, free elder care, expand Medicare. Where does this money come from? While vilifying the rich in New York, you're giving up. You're only keeping 4.5%. You're giving, if out of every $10 you make, you keep $4.50. Think about that. So over half your money be going to state, between the federal government, the state, and the city, over half your money goes out the door. So you're going to tax the most successful, hardest-working people in the country even more than you're doing it in order to pay for things that people have not earned in, in a cradle-to-grade society that we cannot afford to live, live through without wiping everything out. So to me, that's going to be crazy, and that's what he's going to attempt to do. But I am not buying it. Uh, one guy that wants to pivot is Ron Klain, cut 18. 
We've worked with Senator Manchin at every step of the way. Uh, he's been a partner of our administration. He has strong views. Others have views. We're going to work together to find a way to put together a package that can pass the House, that can pass the Senate, that can be put on the president's desk and signed into law. Because Manchin has made it clear he is holding out. Says that we're, this is time to hit pause on $3.5 trillion. He is not for uh, getting the corporate rate up to 28%. He wants it down 25%. It should stay where it was. He incorrectly stated that the only thing about the tax plan only that Trump passed in 2017, the only thing good about it was for investors. Really? If you have a retirement, if you have a 401k, if you're a union member with a pension, you pretty much are happy with what was happening, as well as blue-collar payments going up and employment going through the roof, meaning dropping. So that's what's going. he's hoping to pivot to. But I don't think the American people will allow it. Between the border— between what's happening over in Afghanistan, the ongoing crisis Americans have, if we could put some Americans on television so they could see the harassment they're going through, and if there are any of those who lose their lives, God forbid, in the process, we will not be able to turn our heads away from this. I still don't think we are, but I fear we will. So when we come back, we'll be joined by a brand new guest, a Desmond Shum, a billionaire political refugee from China and author of Red Roulette. We'll find out how China has infiltrated life in America and what it's like in China. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back, everyone. one 408 7669 I want to welcome uh, to the show uh, Desmond Chum. He is the uh, a billionaire and political refugee from China and author of Red Roulette, an insider story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's uh, China. Desmond, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, Desmond, we keep on painting China as this country that is a, is on the rise. Uh, it is everybody likes the... It's the most effective form of government. They're, they're, uh, uh, they have a presence in almost every continent, and their Belt and Road program is giving them influence on more and more nations. Are they a country on the rise? I think uh, one time some article uh, uh, gave a face. It's a giant built on sand. I think that's a, that's a proper place for it. So it is a giant, but it's uh, with very, very loose and weak uh, foundation. In what respect? Because they seem to be homogenous in their schooling, in their uh, love of the military, and they're willing to be disciplined, right? I think uh, the military hasn't fought a proper war for another for the last 50 years. So, yes, on paper it looks all good. When you you know, but we all know how. I mean, there's many stories around everywhere. That's how corrupt the military is. So when when it really comes to the war possibly with Taiwan or over Taiwan, we'll see how they actually perform. And whether the, the party is that strong, it's, it's, it's a lot of it. It's because it's, they have this complete tight grip on the control on everything of their country. Anything happened, um, a crisis of significance that were losing that, uh, that grip, it will, could be a different story. Obviously, that's always there. There are other issues of uh, that this uh, this growth in over the last 10, 15 years is fueled by amazing rise of uh, debt level. 
and you know that's a statistic. It's a public statistic. Just the real estate value, the real estate value of China, is more than Europe, U.S., Japan combined. So, to, so if I'm to buy a house there, if I have to buy a house there, I'm going to need yeah. more capital than all those other countries you just mentioned. Yeah, it, it is. It is just. It is uh, overpriced, and 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 then and China accounts for about seventeen percent of world's GDP, and the, the, the three other economy, U.S., America, Europe, combined for sixty percent of the GDP, but the combined real estate value is less than real estate value. I mean, that is just how inflated things are. And so it is a giant, yes, but built on sand. How have they gotten through the pandemic? We don't hear much. We hear a ridiculously low number of deaths. We watch their brutal lockdowns early on and says, that's the way you handle this. America made mm-hmm. a mockery of it. What, what's the truth? I think first thing is uh, we don't know what's the actual actual number of cases, and we don't know actual number of deaths. Um, I, I I don't think it's I, I would think it's not that high, but we actually whatever the number coming out and right now it's fake. And you know just think of it. I mean we when we we don't even know when you know when how this uh, pandemic originated from China. So, so a lot of facts are not known, and then the lockdown—it's not a sustainable, not a sustainable thing. It's, it's it hurts the economy tremendously, and they, as long as they not they're they're in this lockdown, they cannot really nobody can go into China at this moment, and nobody's really coming out of China. That's not sustainable. At some point, they need to change the track, and when they change track, if they have, if they don't have the, the vaccines, the rest of the world has. We'll see how they deal with it. Um, we're dealing with uh, Desmond Chum, self-made millionaire, political refugee from China, wrote Red Roulette is his story. Desmond, what was your story? How did you acquire wealth in China? It's a, it's a ride. It's a, such a ride. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, give me the short version. Yeah, the short version. The short version is uh, I, I, um, I get married to my wife. She introduced me to, uh, to the political world. We get into the partnership, business partnership, with the wife of the then premier Wen Jiabao, and then we we build a uh, I, I we build the biggest logistic um, airport logistic project in China, possibly one of the biggest in the world. We built uh, we built a Bulgari and offices uh, around Beijing, and yeah, that's the short version. That is. So you had success. How did you get out? Because I believe that the country is taking a wrong track. Because I, 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 I was seeing it. I detailed in the book how, how the country was changing even during the second term of uh, Hu Jintao's time, which is um, about 15 years ago, just right after the financial crisis, how things China start change. Um, and then in Xi Jinping time, it just, uh, you know, all those changes just tick on a different pace. And I thought, you know, this is not going to end up well. And then, you know, I actually in a detail in the book and how I get into argument about, you know, with my wife, how much capital to invest outside of China. So we are more diversified. And then she believed China going to go on, her connection is going to go on. And then she, you know, and obviously come to a tragic end. Uh, Jack Ma is somebody that we see a lot about. We saw more than Jeff Bezos. What happened to him? <laughs> she had been, he has been silenced, right? But, but what, what, what he actually counts is, in China, political power trumps everything, trumps everything else. 
and and there's no private property protection to to speak of. So a, a business person, whether it's a Jack Ma or or in, in my ex-wife's case, uh, she was disappeared for four years and just reappeared two days ago. Uh, in the, in the eye of the uh, uh, the political leader, they count for nothing. Entrepreneurs count for nothing. They are all expendables. So, you know, in their eye, they look at Jack Ma and say, okay, you are today a billionaire. You're the richest person in China. Hey, I can replace you, and then put, I can put on Jack Lee tomorrow to be the richest person. Hey, who's going to say no? Nobody. Your wife appeared two days ago, your ex-wife? Yeah. So the, the, my, my book just came out today, and then uh, the story, a couple of newspapers, a major newspaper, Financial Times and uh, Wall Street Journal, run a, run a, both run a story on, on, on me uh, last Friday. And then one of the mo- most uh, important and preparing reasons for me to, move, uh, to go forward and publish this book is because she had been disappeared for four years. And then miraculously, on Saturday, she appeared. She called me here, and now, now we, 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 have, uh, we have phone calls. And then she just come alive and reappear wow. after four uh, years. So uh, I want you to hear what this Khan Kitchen wrote. He's a former intel officer, but with a focus on China, uh, officer yeah. with ODNI. Here's what he said this morning about China yeah. and the problems we have uh, with our intelligence. Cut 37. Do we have the same yeah. intel capabilities in China that China has here in the U.S.? No, no. The last In the last decade, there have been two events that have uh, critically hindered our ability to do collection inside of China. The first was the illegal disclosures by Edward Snowden, which caused the Chinese government to harden themselves against signals intelligence or technical collection. The other was we had a traitor, uh, a former intelligence officer named Jerry Lee, who's been convicted of working with China to systematically dismantle our human intelligence networks inside China. And while we're recovering and we're certainly not without capability, it's an honest assessment to say that what we can do has been severely restricted because of at least those two incidents over the last 10 years. I don't know how much you're involved in the intelligence apparatus about what we know about China, but it seems like we've been devastated by those two, two events. I wouldn't. I have no idea about it. I have heard of it, but uh, I, I don't know anything particular about it. Okay. Why do you think that they're obsessed? They seem to obsess with America and beating us out in every way, infiltrating almost every element of our society from colleges uh, to our political process. Why? It starts from their sense of insecurity. They have they have a deep, deep sense of insecurity because they re, they, they they consciously realize their hold on power, this permanent hold on power on on China over 1.4 billion people over the last 70 years, 70 years is illegitimate. That's why they want to. They well, no, they want to. They actually they block the the internet in China. Every news agency in China is uh, is controlled by the state. Uh, every textbook is controlled by the state. Uh, all dissenting voices is silenced. And and then globally, they only want to have one storyline about China, and they want to permanently silence me, people like me who have a different storyline to tell about China. It's deep, this deep sense of insecurity because they know their power, their whole on power is illegitimate. But at the same time, they want to have this permanent hold on power. The elites of the, the, the Communist Party uh, want to have this permanent hold on power. 
And and this elite, I'm not talking about you know it's like you know you have a you have a political leader, and then over time you change to a different political leader. They are they are a bunch of families. They have last four generations. They 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 hold they have this whole permanent hold on power. Xi Jinping is an example. His father is one of the top ten generals. And then, you know, Hu Jintao, the last president's son, is one of the, you know, is another, you know, political leader now, now on the rise in China. So you, you have those, like, like they are the, like the mid, there's a group of them. It's like the medieval aristocrats. They have this permanent hold on power through bloodline. And they, they marry among themselves. They, you know, they use entrepreneurs like, like me, like my ex-wife, like people like Jack Ma. And then, you know, we don't own all the wealth. Uh, we own. We need to partner with them. We need to share with any, for anything we create with them. Were you surprised Why, with if the, somebody? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Desmond. If somebody have that kind of uh, a power, right? One ruling over 1.4 billion people from generations to generation. Every wealth uh, creator in that country, they can, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pot that they can possibly put their finger on into. And then you have this, you know, police state. Why do I want to give up power? I hear you. Uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. Are you surprised the way they steamrolled Hong Kong? Yes and no. Yes, because it's, it's the nature of the party. The party needs to overcome all dissent. They were slow to come to Hong Kong because they feel like they are still not ready to confront with, with the rest of the world. They feel they are ready today. They feel they are strong enough today. They feel, you know, they are they are they are second largest economy and all that. Um, no, because I was still amazed, despite you reading through the history of Chinese CCP, how brutal it has been. I was still amazed the the speed and the brutality um, they used to overcome. The Hong Kong population. Right. If it wasn't for the pandemic, maybe we wouldn't have, uh, uh, have allowed it. Maybe it would have been a different story. But then when the lockdowns happened, we kind of took our eye off the ball there. But they don't care yes. about international embarrassment and, uh, uh, and isolation. Does that mean that Taiwan's days are numbered? I don't believe that. Actually, you know, to, oh, we are, we're going to current politics now. Uh, I actually don't believe they are ready to. I mean, they give all the threats. I don't actually believe they are actually ready to actually military uh, start a military campaign to overcome Taiwan. As I said, their military hasn't been tested for in, essentially, except a, a small-scale war with uh, India and uh, a medium-sized war with Vietnam uh, 50 years ago. That military hasn't been tested. Can they actually how, how it would perform is a huge question mark. I'm not sure they even themselves know how 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 effective there is their military force, despite all what, what they put on paper. Desmond Shum is here. He's a billionaire, political refugee from China, and author of a book that's out today, Red Roulette. Desmond, uh, are you glad you're here? I am very glad that I'm out. Well, I'm very glad I'm out of China. In today's China, I don't want to be there. Right. Um, are you able to keep your businesses going, keep investing, keep doing what you're doing? No, I close down everything. I move out everything. And the, the little things I have in China, you know, uh, the um, police just one day, two months ago, come into the warehouse and took all my personal belongings. 
uh, and then I, you know, never, never, I was never in the charge. Right. It's gone. What was it like speaking to your ex-wife again? What has she been through? She said she hasn't. She was, um, she was in confinement for four years. She has no news over the last four years from the outside world. Just think of it. I mean, you know, it's it's like a movie scene, right? I mean, a person come out to the world and look at the iPhone and say, "Wow, it's iPhone 12 now." I was. It was iPhone 6 when I went in there. Right. I mean, she have no. She she doesn't know that there was a pandemic going on for two years. She doesn't even know her mom passed away three months ago. Wow. Crazy, uh, crazy life that you've lived, and hopefully everything gets smoother, and you're able to use your entrepreneurial spirits uh, to move everything here uh, forward in America. Desmond Chum, uh, congratulations on your book, Red Roulette. Thank you. Thank All you right. for having me. True story behind the scenes in China. When we come back, we'll finish up with your calls, one 866 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's finish up with a more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So David Spade says cancel culture has made his jokes dry and not as funny. Listen. I try to do stuff that's a little rougher on the edges. That's the whole idea. And then if someone picks it up, I guess I just cross my fingers and say, it's under the guise of comedy. I just hope my whole life is. Like, everything I say is basically for a joke. How do you move forward, like, and be as funny as you once were? I'm not. I'm pulling from the same seven jokes we're all allowed to use. I just turn into Marlon Blando. I mean, that's what they want. They don't want you to shake the tree, and I like guys that are still doing it, and some people are just grandfathered in, and they get to do it, so... I'm glad there's comics still doing it. Wow, uh, he, he's actually talking about wrapping up his guest hosting job as a bachelor in paradise, uh, Chris Harrison. So it does not surprise me, him saying that. I thought he'd be the one to push the envelope and say the heck with it. I guess he's a little afraid. Next. CNN is blasted for an article claiming whiteness will expand to being tan as America becomes more diverse. This is nuts. On Saturday night, CNN Enterprise writer John Blake argued that whiteness was elastic and that as the population became more diverse, as seen in the 2020 U.S. Census report, white supremacists who adopt becoming white could expand to incorporate new members if they have the right look. Racism will likely be just as entrenched in a browner America as it is now. I guess it'll be not totally white. Off-white will have the power of white in I this mean, guy's world? Somebody's watching a comedy sketch is what this seems like, like a bad comedy sketch. It's like that L.A. Times article about Larry Elder calling him the black face of white supremacy. Next, bosses are using Tattleware to monitor employees working from home. Is your boss watching you? There is so-called Tattleware software that takes a live photo of workers at home about every minute from their company laptops. The, uh, the software can track keystrokes and web browsing. For example, employers can see everything you write in an email uh, or in Slack. That's terrible. Who I, would ever allow that? I just use the excuse that, oh, my boss, uh, you, was telling me to go to these special sites. Right, That's my absolutely, excuse. for research. Next. The Brits spend more than 100 days of their life deciding what TV shows and films to watch. The study of 2,000 adults said the average sees 24 minutes and 24 seconds spent deciding on what shows. That's the problem. We used to have a TV guide that would tell us our what our selections could be. 
Now there is no bottom to what we can do, and now we're more stressed. Don't give us a choice. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.